Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. I cannot help it. Uh, there is something about baby calves that make me act like a child. I love baby calves. And I understand that saying baby calves is redundant, but at the same time, that's how they make me feel. I love baby calves. We are, even though we, uh, you know, we drive down the road, we're, we're still the sort of family that if we see new calves out in the field, we will pull over and watch them for a little while, especially, especially if they're fighting, you know, their little button heads and stuff like that. Oh man, that just makes my day. There is a, um, there's a petting part of the uh, Fort Worth zoo and and they'll normally have a calf in there and and they'll have uh mules and 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 sheep and and goats all sorts of animals and and you get to pet those i always look for the calf and stay with the calf i prefer calves i love them ever since i was a teenager and i bottle fed my uncle's calf i have just loved calves i love everything about them Uh, i think calves all the way around are great animals i love them as pets never had one but i think that's a great idea I love them as pets. I love them as a mascot. I truly do. I love them as dinner. And none of that is conflicting in my mind. I love all of the many services um, that calves provide for us as humans. I love calves. And there's just something I said, like, it's just, it just makes me um, a childlike in a good way, you know? And when I say that, let me read that. This is what I describe. It it makes me feel like a child. It's a release of all the ways I am supposed to be and the image I am supposed to project and just an acceptance that some things are just cool. And I can't explain why they're cool. They're just cool. And, And some things are enjoyable just because they are. And they capture my imagination and all of the what ifs are still on the table. And I don't have to justify any of it. That's how calves make me feel. For whatever reason, I just like calves. I asked online, I asked some of you, what are the things that make you feel childlike? Make you act like a, like a kid again. And, and here's some of them. I was amazed at how many of you put bubbles. Bubbles make you feel like a child. I'm trying to picture some of you blowing bubbles and then chasing them and like popping them and getting mad at your wife for popping them too early, you know, that kind of thing. But, but several people, they said bubbles. Other people put riding a bike riding a bike. And I can relate to that. I have a bike. I like to ride it. Um, and when I ride my bike, every time I hit this hill in our neighborhood and I go back and forth. And, I'll, and if there's lines like on the Tucker Creek Trail, I try to weave through the, you know, and, and I know that grown men are not supposed to do that. But, um, but if you're standing in the middle of the line, you better move because I can't go on a line. It's against the rules, you know. Riding a bike. Some people put snow Snow makes them feel that way. I'm sure there was a moment a couple months ago where you're like, I'm over it, right? But snow makes you feel that way. How many of you would relate to this? Barefoot in the cold grass. You know, when it's real thick and good, you know, there's no pricklies. You just put your feet in that cold grass. That makes you, there's something about it. It just makes you feel all just like good, you know? Several people put something along the lines of baseball. Go into a baseball game. Maybe it's walking into your favorite stadium, your MLB stadium of choice, that sort of thing. Just something about it. Opening day makes you feel, feel like a kid again. A number of people, can you relate to this one? Grandkids. How many of you would say grandkids make you feel like a kid again, right? 
Yeah, and we love watching you act like a kid again. We, we think that that's hilarious when you try to do those things. Here's, a num- here's one, turtles. Number of people put turtles. Anybody just really love turtles? Somebody put on my wall, turtles, I'm obsessed with them, you know. That's a weird obsession, but good. Turtles, if you're going to be obsessed with something, turtles are great. Uh, fishing, some people put fish. Fishing just frustrates. There's nothing about that that makes me feel like a kid. That just makes me mad. But I can see why other people do. I bring this up not to rewrite the song. These are a few of my favorite things. But just to kind of explain that today's story involves a guy who acts like a kid. Who, who behaves a little bit like a child. And that um, story or that situation makes the other people, the grown-ups in the group, it makes them all upset. It makes them mad. Let's pray about it. And then we're going to talk about this story this morning. Would you all pray with me this morning. God, thank you for your word and the ways that you have encouraged us, even, even just in the gathering, the coming together. Those who are watching online, God, we pray that you would, you would give them special encouragement. Those who are coming back for the first time today, God, may they feel welcomed back home. May this be like uh, coming home from college or, or coming home um, from an assignment or duty. God, it's just, it just feels good to be back with your family. God, I do pray for our church as we look at this story today. I pray that we would take what commonly is referred to as a kid's story and we would leave here today childlike. Be with us today as we, as we act mature enough to behave like children. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 is where we are as we study the story of Zacchaeus. And if you're paying attention and you're following along, as I'm sure all of you are, then you are noticing that, uh, that we're going backwards. We're going backwards. Two weeks ago, or last week, we were in Luke 24, where we, uh, where we, we talked about the story of, the, uh, of the, the head spaces of people as they approached the empty tomb. And as they discovered that Jesus had beat death, as he crushed death, I think is the lyrics from those songs that we, we, we sang just a minute ago. That's the story that was last week. That's Luke 24. And then the week before that, we were at Luke 19, the end of Luke 19, where Jesus has, to, has some friends of his steal a donkey. Y'all remember that? And so that's what was going on. And now we're at the beginning of Luke 19. And so we're kind of going backwards. And I want to explain uh, sort of the timeline and the geography real quick. We're not going backwards intentionally. The, um, we've been looking at Luke since the beginning of December. And so we've just been going through it, and we, we're sectioning, in, uh, sectioning it off in different um, sort of series. Next week, we start a new series called The Night Trial by Dr. Luke. Uh, I read a lot of John Grisham, and this kind of reminded me of a John Grisham or James Patterson story or something like that. So we're going to look at The Night Trial. That starts next week. And, and, and since we've been looking at all of these series, it just got to Easter time, and so we jumped ahead to that story. And now we're going back and picking up the story. And that's why next week we'll start the night trial in which Jesus will eventually uh, die at the Easter and then be resurrected on Easter morning. So that's kind of what's going on there. This verse here says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. I want to show you sort of where that is and what's going on in the story in case nobody's ever done that for you. This is Israel, okay? It's over in the Middle East. Um, 
China and all that is off this direction. Arkansas is over here. Okay, so just so you know where you are, you're way over here. And um, this is Israel during the time of Jesus. And so you got some famous thing. This is where a lot of his ministry happened up around the Sea of Galilee or Gennesaret is another name that we use for it. Capernaum is right there. A lot of miracles, the, the, um, the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, all that happened right over here in this area. It's not actually a sea. It's just a big giant lake that feels like a sea. And then down here in the southern region is where, um, where a lot of the ministry happened. In fact, right here is Bethlehem. Okay? And so as you look at this situation here and we zoom into the southern portion of the kingdom, what you have over here is Jericho. This is where Joshua uh, marched around Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. This is happening today in our story. But then by this time, he's going to walk this whole way all the way over to here. And that's where he's going to ask for a ride. All right. That's where they're going to, um, they're going to hotwire a donkey and take it back to him. And, and then they're going to go in here to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem is where he will be, um, where there will be a trial, a night trial starting next week. And then um, his death and resurrection. All that's happening in Jerusalem. Look over here. This is that's where he was born. All right, so that's the um, story. That's the geography of what is going on. I wanted you to kind of see that so that you know what's happening. Um, but as you do that, let's, let's look at the story. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was super wealthy, all right? Probably the richest guy in town. And he was trying to see who Jesus was, but was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. Now, in these two short verses, you gain a lot about uh, Zacchaeus. You learn just a ton about him. Like, first of all, you got his name, of course, and that he was the chief tax collector. Now, a lot of you understand what's going on when I say uh, tax collector. You understand that, that that's not somebody that a lot of people liked because they worked for the Romans. And whenever somebody had to pay their taxes, the, the tax collector would take a portion of it, pocket it. That's how they got paid. And then they would give the rest on to the Roman government. Zacchaeus is not that one doing that, okay? He's not the one taking the money, pocketing it, and giving it on to the Roman government. He's actually the one collecting from all the other tax collectors, taking a portion of all of that, and then passing it on to the Roman government. And this has made him extremely rich. He's the chief, all right? He's not the, the one. That, so this is like your sister-in-law, whatever she's trying to sign you up for, whatever pyramid scheme, all right, that she's working for now. She's the top of the pyramid. That's Zacchaeus. And then she's trying to get you to go down there and steal from other people. All right, so that's what's happening. And that's who he is. And this has made him rich, which is what she's trying to do, right? So, so um, there, there's a richness there. Furthermore, what we understand is that he is of a short stature, that he's, he's not very tall. And that's fascinating to me because in the Bible, we don't really hear a lot about the physical characteristics of people. Uh, I, I just assumed that everybody else was, I guess, boring old normal height. But he's an interesting shorter stature, okay? And it is something that we are well aware of when we talk about Zacchaeus. In fact, if you were to just quiz everybody in this story, then this would be probably, if I was, if I was uh, going to walk out on a limb here, this is the detail that most people know about Zacchaeus. Even in that little song, that played. Um, in fact, Rich was the one who played that song for our bumper there. Even in that little song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. You can hear it, you know that, and that's the detail that you know. It's just the, it's the fact of the story. 
It's the thing that we pick up. And we do that with a lot of uh, Bible stories. In fact, if I was going to say other words like uh, uh, Goliath, you would think giant, right? If I was to say Noah, you would think ark. If I was to say uh, Joshua, you would think uh, Jericho. These, were, these are children's stories that we think of. By the way, all of those children's stories are very bloody and very violent, but we leave that part out, all right, when they're, when they're across the aisle over there, okay? But they're, they're children's stories, and we identify with this one thing. It's the main kind of idea that gets lodged in our brains for, for various reasons. It's the main idea that gets lodged in our brains, but it may not be the actual point. In fact, I don't believe that Luke is including this detail because he wants to point out something physical about the guy. In fact, I think that there is something else going on. If you were to scroll with your eyes up to the 18th chapter, and, uh, uh, and um, we'll get there in just a second, but look up in, in the text there in the 18th chapter. What I think is happening here is not so much uh, something physical about the guy, but it's what he does to compensate for that. Okay, it's not that he is short in stature. It's what he does to compensate that for. He climbs a tree. Listen to me. I think climbing the tree is more of the focus than it is his stature. In fact, if I was going to ask you, let me ask you this right now. When is the last time you as an adult climbed a tree? It's not a thing that a lot of adults do. In fact, I don't, I don't know that we could get 12 adults in here if it has nothing to do with a deer stand who have climbed a tree lately, right? I mean, we just don't do that. We look up trees, but, but kids don't. Kids climb trees. If we were all standing outside right now, we would say, hey, look at that nice tree over there. A kid would go, I'm going to climb that thing, you know? It's just what they do. Kids climb trees. Zacchaeus, I think the point here is that Zacchaeus climbed a tree. Like I said, in 18, Jesus tells a story in, five, in 15 through 17, up there in that, that chapter of there. Jesus tells a story about children in which, he, this is a quote from it. He says, Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Here's the deal. Luke is not putting his stature in there to tell you anything about it. He's putting that in there to set up that Zacchaeus is going to act like a child. Exactly what is said in 18 is exactly what Zacchaeus is doing in 19. There's a lot of different ways that we can understand what it means to act like a child, to receive the kingdom of God like a child in order to enter it. But what I would posit is that this idea is mainly the concept of amazement and trust. Just a full delighted trust in what a bigger person can do. Have you ever done a magic trick for a kid, you know? And just to watch their face light up with how did he just do? How did she just do? And that sort of trust in what the bigger person can do is what Jesus is kind of communicating there. As adults, we are so cynical. We're so cynical. We don't trust anything. And in, in, in reality, that's not a horrible thing. Being a little doubtful of things is what keeps us alive. It's also what keeps our kids alive. We, there needs to be a healthy doubt that, you know, I'm not sure that bridge is going to hold us, or I don't think you should eat that because you found it by the tree. You know, those, those are just things. We don't, we don't just do stuff. We have a little bit of doubt in us, but when it comes to God, when it comes to God, I think we should just jump off the pool and into his arms. We have to trust that he is going to protect us from whatever it is that's out there. 
We have to trust that God is in control. That's a childlike reception to what God is doing in his kingdom. In this story, Zacchaeus is climbing the tree with excitement just to see Jesus. He just wants to see him. It's like a child on her dad's shoulders just wanting to see the parade as it passes by. That is a childlike acceptance of what's going on. Look at this. This is just so you know the rest of the story. You know this part. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And since he was about to pass that way, when Jesus looked up in the tree, he came to the place and he looked up in the tree and he said to him, what did he say? Oh, come on, you can do it. Zacchaeus, you come down for we're going to your house today. So Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down because today it is necessary. We're going to come back to that word in a minute. It is necessary for me to stay at your house. It's a beautiful story in which uh, Jesus calls him down. I love how Jesus looks around and says, who's the richest guy here? I'm eating at his house, right? Right before I steal a donkey. I know that Jesus didn't steal a donkey. Some people take a fist. I'm joking, all right? Jesus owns all the donkeys. He doesn't have to steal a donkey. All right, so, so, he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. This is Zacchaeus came down and welcomed Jesus joyfully. And all who saw it began to complain. Is this a shock to anybody? That everybody started to complain about something? He's gone to stay with a sinful man, they say. I think that's how everybody says that phrase. All who saw it began to complain. This is not shocking to me because this still happens today. This is the same thing that's going on today. The same thing that we deal with is the same thing that Jesus deals with. If Jesus was alive today, somebody would see him helping a homeless person, and then they would complain that Jesus is a part of the drug industry. If Jesus was alive today, he would post something about helping immigrants, which the Bible says a lot about helping immigrants, and somebody would want to make sure that the Lord knows about public safety. Jesus may befriend a prostitute or a religious hypocrite, and somebody is going to send him a, a, a harshly worded uh, direct message to let him know that Jesus the Christ does not live up to their moral ethical standard that they have created. The same thing that we deal with today is the exact same thing that, we, uh, that Jesus dealt with in that time. Because here's the big shocker that some people may not be aware of. Jesus is fully aware of who Zacchaeus is. He doesn't need somebody to point out that this guy is a sinful man. Jesus knows that Zacchaeus is a sinful man. In fact, that's why he's talking to him. See, as Baptists, we have created what's called the doctrine of separation. It's not so much in our um, certain sect of Baptist um, doctrines, but in the one that I grew up in, this is, man, this is right next to Jesus, born of a virgin, and you better not hang out with sinners. That is, uh, that's our two core doctrines right there. And as helpful as it is when you're a teenager and when you're growing up and you're learning to stand on your own and make decisions on your own, I believe it has done so much damage to our mission and to evangelism. It is all but killed evangelism. Why? Because you have to be friends to people you want to share the gospel with. You have to. That's how the thing works. In fact, I think a lot of us would have a really hard time hanging out with Jesus for a day because he would go with people and go to places that we would be afraid to be associated with. Jesus didn't need anybody to tell him that that was a sinful man. That's exactly what Jesus went off to do. I read somewhere someone said, Jesus knew and Judas ate too. Jesus knew and Judas 
8 too. We've got to be very careful about this whole idea of who we're going to be nice to. We're afraid that sometimes their sin is going to rub off on us. But in reality, what we are doing is what we are, what, what is happening is that we are called to go and share the gospel with people. We need to challenge our own presuppositions. We need to challenge the way that we see other people, especially those people that we see as less than us morally or ethically or spiritually. Now, it's important that you are the influencer and not being influenced. But you cannot be the influencer if you're not breaking bread or having a meal or being kind. At least be kind. That's what Jesus does, right? And it's an amazing story. So Zacchaeus hears all this, right? Because the person who's coming to Jesus, they hear the mean things that religious people say. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I can almost hear him kind of like, can you, can you imagine Zacchaeus thinking, this guy is going to give me grace. And then all of a sudden, all the religious people out him. And he's about to lose the chance at grace. And so Zacchaeus says to him, I, I can think almost even quietly, he says, look, I'll give back half of the possessions to the poor. Uh, if I've taken anything from anybody, if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times. You can almost hear him begging. Please still accept me. Please still come to my house. I admit I did all of that wrong. And that's why I'm coming to you, Jesus. Please still comes back to me. Out of nowhere, Zacchaeus offers up uh, this restitution. He offers up this idea of like, I'll make it right. Please still accept me. I'll make it right. I've done wrong and I'll make it right. And he does it in a twofold part. He says, I'll give back half of my possessions to the poor. That idea is that chief tax collector idea. He doesn't know who everybody ripped off underneath him. So he can't give it back directly to them. So he's saying, here's what I'll do. I'll just give back half of everything I have to the poor. That'll, that'll take care of that side. And if, if the few people that I have personally exhorted, if I've taken anything from them, I have a record of that. I'll go back and give them four times what I took from them. It's fascinating because there's nowhere in the Old Testament, there's nowhere in Roman law that requires this sort of restitution if you have done these things wrong. There's nothing like that. In fact, in the Old Testament, there's a verse that talks about if you're extorting somebody that you should give back plus 20%. And so he's going way over that. It's not just 20%. He's going four times. And f like, like here, here's the interesting kind of like uh, allusion to what's about to happen is the only thing that talks about giving back four times are two verses in the Old Testament that say, if you stole an animal, you need to give back four extra animals. And so um, Jesus needs to give back that donkey or he's going to owe five, right? Exodus 22 and 2 Samuel 12, 16. What happens here is uh, what happens to us on a smaller scale, right? Have you ever—this happens to me a lot. I told somebody this week, if you say as many words as I say out in public, you're going to say a bunch of them wrong, all right? That's just the way—just know that about your pastor, about your preacher, right? I say a ton of words out in public, and so I'm going to say a few of them wrong, even up here. But have you ever done this where you're talking to somebody, and you know—you're not the sharpest tool in the shed, but you know— that you said something that came off a, a little wrong. You could tell by their eyes, by their body language, uh, you somehow offended. You didn't mean to, but you said it wrong. Has that ever happened? All y'all are looking at me like, no, that's just you. You're a horrible person. Uh, but you say that, and then you think to yourself, Ugh, 
that wasn't right. You know, you're like, I don't know how to make this. It's awkward. We're already past awkward, you know. And the, my, my strategy usually, if this is like Jackie that I said, and I could tell, I said it wrong. I'm not sure why, but I said it wrong, you know, that sort of thing. I'll just bring her an Oreo later and like set it down and be like, if she accepts it, the gods are good with me, you know, something like that, you know. Just bring a peace offering, that sort of thing. Uh, but how much better is it? Have y'all ever done that where you say something wrong and then you go to them later and you're like, hey, I think I said that wrong. I, I don't know, like I didn't mean to say it like you're dumb or, or you're, you're, you're sloppy. I didn't mean it that way. I just meant like sometimes you're sloppy, you know, and you like fix it, right? And then they say back, they say back, I know, I know, I was hurt, but I know. You know that feeling? Does everybody get what I'm, I'm doing here? Okay, so that's the same thing. Words made it wrong, words made it right. Or, or when your buddy has to buy your lunch for the 17th time because you keep forgetting your wallet. But then the next day, he forgets his wallet, and so you buy his lunch, and you're like, you can have the whole buffet and a salad and a water, you know, because you're going to go way out there. Lunch made it wrong. Lunch makes it right. Zacchaeus knows that financially he has taken advantage of people, and so money made it wrong. Money makes it right. He fixes the things in the way that he's supposed to. And Jesus says something super interesting. He says, today, salvation has come to this house. And that's huge. That's a big word for Jesus to say. But it means that today, Zacchaeus is right with God. But be very careful about this. Jesus is not saying that in some way the rich guy has bought his salvation. He's not saying that Zacchaeus has bought his salvation by giving half to the poor or, or four times what he extorted back to the people that he extorted it from. He's not saying that because for a couple of reasons, that's not true in the Bible. And Zacchaeus hasn't done any of that yet. He just said he would. You see, the difference is that Jesus is recognizing that Zacchaeus has had a heart change. That something on the inside has changed and that affects the way that he is going to treat other people. That his heart is different. Jesus fully believes that Zacchaeus is going to give back uh, half of everything to the poor. That he's going to give four times what he extorted to those that he extorted it from. Jesus believes all of that because the man has had a heart change. That that's the difference there. That that's what's going on. And that's the truth about the gospel as well. Salvation doesn't come to those who do good things. Salvation comes to those who have a heart change. The inside changes. And the Bible says so clearly, so beautifully, so freely, that if you will accept Jesus, if you will trust him like a child, if you're in this room or watching online, if you will just trust him in what he can do, even if you don't fully understand every bit of it, then he will give you a new heart and, he, and salvation will come to you. That's what the Bible says. That's very clear. That's easy to understand. If you look back up in, in chapter 18, you remember y'all were looking at 15 through 17. If you look back up in chapter 18, right after, this is not coincidental. Luke did, Luke did this on purpose. Right after he tells the story about the children, like unless you come and accept me like a child, he tells the story about a rich young ruler, another rich guy. And the rich guy comes up to Jesus and he says to Jesus, Lord, teacher, rabbi, what do I need to do in order to be right with God? And Jesus responds, well, have you done all the good things and not done any of the bad things? And the guy responds, yeah, of course. And he's not lying. He was a good citizen. He was a good Jew. He was a good human. 
He did all of the good things and didn't do any of the bad things. And so Jesus responds to him and says, then I want you to give your money to the poor. Give your money to the poor. And the Bible says, 18 verse 23, and after he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was rich, because he was very rich. Zacchaeus is the antithesis of the young rich guy. The, this rich young man's heart was self-centered and it was not changed by God. So he valued stuff more than people. Zacchaeus has a heart change. He accepted Jesus like a child would and it changes the way he sees possessions and people. The heart change is what Jesus calls salvation. The habit change is the way that we see it in living color. The heart change is what Jesus is focusing on there. So, when you're getting into spiritual conversations with your children, with your parents, with your in-laws, when you're in these spiritual conversations, it's important for you to communicate. If it's like your roommate or your, or your coworker, whatever it is, it's important for you to communicate this, that it is not the good things that make you right with God. The rich man did that. He did all the good things and he wasn't right with God. And it's not the bad things that keeps you from a relationship with God. You can't do too much bad that Jesus won't love you. Zacchaeus did all of the bad things. It is only when you trust Jesus like a child, when you accept him, when you run to him and say, I don't understand everything, but what I do understand, I lean into you. I trust you. I leverage everything toward you. Look back at verse 10. Jesus says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus gives sort of a summary statement here. This is a summary. Of, this is the end of the story, right? Period. Boom. This is a summary of what just happened with Zacchaeus. And there's about a week away from him dying in Jerusalem and resurrecting and all that kind of stuff. So he's giving a summary statement over what he has done in his ministry. Here's another thing that I think is really cool, is you remember several weeks ago when Jesus calls Matthew, Levi, the other tax collector, and everybody got upset because Jesus says, we're going to have a party at your house tonight. And you remember what Jesus says to them? I've come to seek and to save the lost. Tax collector, the worst. Tax collector, the worst. The same mission. He came to seek and to save the lost. Look with your eyes to verse 5. In verse 5 of chapter 19, verse 5, Jesus says to uh, Zacchaeus, he says, come down from the tree because it is necessary. It is necessary that I eat at your house tonight. Here's what Jesus kind of tips his hand. He shows you what's in his hand, his cards, is meeting Zacchaeus on that road, Zacchaeus running ahead and climbing a sycamore tree. None of that was an accident. None of that was happenstance. Jesus went through that way to get that guy. Jesus went after that guy. The worst of the worst, Jesus did this on purpose. And so it makes me sort of ask this question, and, and I hope that you will hear the question. Don't listen to me and watch this like you're watching television, like you're just hearing what's going on. Literally, let this question go into your mind and into your heart. Who are you supposed to be seeking out to share the love of Jesus with? We're on the same mission. It doesn't talk to us about, it doesn't tell us what the, what the dinner conversation went like. I don't know what they talked about, but I have a good guess. I think it had to do with Jesus, his mission, 
forgiveness, a father's love, the father's extent of his love, the purpose from the very beginning, and that no matter how bad Zacchaeus and all of his family and all of his friends were, God still loved him. So, is there anybody that God has put in your life? Is there anybody whom God has put in, your, in their life that you are supposed to be asking them to go to dinner, to go to coffee, to share a salad, to let them know about a father, his forgiveness, and no matter what you've done, he loves you. How insane would it be in Conway, Arkansas, and Greenbrier, and Bologna, and Faulkner County, if everybody left here acting like this, just trusting Jesus to do what he did? Listen, here's a couple of, uh, a couple of encouragements, a couple of things to keep in mind real quick. We are so hung up on outside things, the superficial things, right? And no matter how many times we are reminded, we struggle with this. Those of you who are familiar with the story of Zacchaeus would tell me one or two details. He was short and he climbed a tree. But few of us could tell you why Luke wrote that in there and how it all fits together with chapter 18. So let me just remind us of this. Don't get distracted by what you can see and miss what you can't. Don't get distracted by the superficial and miss what is deeper in what God is doing in the lives of other people. Our relationship with others reveals our relationship with God. The crowd was there to see Jesus, and that's good, right? They wanted to see Jesus too. This isn't the scribes and the Pharisees. This is just regular town folk. They're all there to see Jesus, but they were so quick to dismiss the one man who, who was just as they are, wanting to see Jesus. They didn't mind crowding around Jesus, but following him was a different thing altogether. The reverse is true. Zacchaeus, he was convicted. He knew that he was wrong. He did wrong. And that made him treat others better. These people didn't actually follow Jesus. He followed Jesus. And so they treated others wrong. He treated others nice. Also, let's clear the way for others to see Jesus. Notice, Something else about the crowd in verse 3. Good old Zacchaeus was not able to get to Jesus because of the crowd that blocked the way. Let that break your heart. Zacchaeus couldn't get to Jesus because there was a crowd around him. They were more concerned with themselves seeing the man than they were making sure others saw him. Many are willing to crowd around Jesus, but fewer are willing to follow him. You should spend your week going out and searching for people to share the good news with. But as we gather here on Sundays, let's do what we can to open up space for them. Sit forward to the open uh, up spaces in the back or just make sure that spaces are available. Park away and not just on big Sundays. Lay your preferences at the door as it relates to meeting space and music choices. Let's not be the crowd in between Jesus and those who want to see him. Clear a path. Let them in. Sacrifice everything you have to sacrifice so that they can experience what you have experienced. On Friday morning, uh, it's one of my days off. Friday, Saturday are my days off. I woke up to a beautiful day, right? Everybody did. It was, we live in the same town. It was a beautiful day. I had no idea no idea that it was going to rain that afternoon. So much so that I put out all new mulch. My family, we put out new mulch. You know, all that stuff's just going to wash down the sidewalk now. And I washed both trucks, all right? 
outside, washed both of those things. And I'm finishing up Jackie's truck, and I'm looking, I'm thinking, I think it's going to rain today, you know? Also, I really love to have a really nice clean slate on my truck so the pine trees in this area can just dump yellow powder all over the top of it. And in it, how does it get inside the truck, you know? But they do that, you know? I washed my truck, so I was pretty proud of that. But as I was standing out there washing these vehicles, uh, my youngest son over here, Amos, he was out there playing basketball. My other two sons were inside, and so he was playing by himself. But you wouldn't know that if you were just listening. You wouldn't know that he was playing by himself. He was passing. He was calling all of his shots, shots that we would call uh, uh, layups. He was calling three-pointers. And even if it didn't go in, he still made the basket, you know. And the crowd goes wild. All this kind of stuff, you know. And they were cheering. He was passing the ball. And he benched himself one time and let some other guys play, you know. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And I'm listening to this as he was going around. And then at one point he goes, oh, man. It's all tied up, 12-12, he tells me. It's like, there's only one of you. How is it 12 to 12, you know? He's saying, man, he comes over to me and he says, Dad, you remember this, Amos? You said this. He says, Dad, who do you want to win? And I said, well, who's playing? And he says, Gonzaga versus the UCA Bears. And I was like, well, of course, go Bears, right? UCA Bears. And he goes, okay, me too, you know? And and he plays a little bit more. He's shooting shots. He's dribbling and chasing that down. And a little bit of traveling here and there, you know, but he's making those baskets. And, and he finally comes up and he lets me know, Dad, UCA won. And on Friday afternoon, guys, the UCA Bears of Conway, Arkansas beat Gonzaga <laughs> in apparently the world championship. <laughs> you should feel proud about that. Because in my son's mind, there is a massive world of possibility. Anything, literally anything, can happen. And it's amazing and it's beautiful. In my son's imagination, he can see what we would never be able to see with our eyes. Because you know why? Because we're all grown up. We don't, we don't think that way anymore. The Lord has given us this gift, this beautiful gift that only humans possess, and it's called an imagination. I know you're all grown and you don't use your imagination anymore and you're all big and that stuff is make-believe, but did you know your imagination is what you use when you make a plan? When you see ahead and you're like, this is what we're going to do. This is how this is all going to work out. These are all the details that need to be in order. That's, you're using your imagination. When you step barefoot into cold green grass and it's thick in between your toes and that or a song on the radio takes you back to a different place and a different time you are using what God gave you and it's called an imagination you see it you plan it you love it these are seeing it in your mind that's what Jesus tells you you're going to need to do you're going to have to come to God and even though you can't explain everything, even though you can't see everything, you're going to have to just step out and trust him. You're going to have to just lean in and trust him. In your mind, with your life, with your mind and your heart and your soul and all of your strength, see him, trust him, and be saved. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.